0: This is Agri-Futures On Air, brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture.
1: Hello, welcome to Agri-Futures On Air, I'm Jane Cuddehy. The Australian vanilla industry is one of our best kept secrets due to its high value and intricate production systems, including the need to hand pollinate each plant. So imagine if it all became a little easier. And it might, thanks to an innovative idea from Central Queensland's Julie Sosso. Julie was awarded an AgriFutures Acceleration Grant and is looking to investigate the viability of developing an Australian protected cropping vanilla industry, employing Australian native solitary bees as pollinators to replace the labour intensive hand pollination method. The idea came about while studying as a mature age student, as our journalist Judy Kennedy found out.
2: I was from a very male dominated family um, and my parents really didn't believe in higher education and so I always thought that I could but I wasn't sure and I believe in education so it was adamant that my children went to uni and so as as a young one I had admin jobs and I didn't really like that I wasn't it wasn't fulfilling me and all that sort of stuff and had the young kids, and then I had a marriage breakdown. You know all the usual life scenarios. And then when my children went through, um, went to uni themselves, I had breast cancer, and I thought, "Nah, this is my time. I've got to do something." And if you know, um, life is short, they say. I started thinking about what, and I thought, "I like. I've always liked food um, security, food sustainability." And permaculture, and then I thought in a uni degree like that's the sort of interest that I have in agri- agriculture and that sort of thing. So if I do a the only course that I could find that was external through the University of Queensland at the Gatton campus was an external course on plant science, and I thought, you beauty, I can I can sign up for that and do it externally because I was living in Rockhampton, and. Um, and that's how I started so I but before I could even get into uni I started with a steps um, like a steps course so it's a preparatory course to get into university uh, back in 2001 because I I left school at year 10 and did secretarial studies so education wasn't a big thing for me and my generation I guess um, with my family and so I started with that and then I did a, an intro chemistry and biology course so I could get into a, a degree of some form. Then I took a eight-year break while my children grew up and I ran a business and got them sort of through school and into uni. And then when I had the breast cancer, I thought, no, time's time. So I found this plant science course and, and yeah, signed up and got accepted. So that was the start. I only started with one course while I did my... Um, still worked um, with my husband and then um, you know gradually did two courses the next semester and see if I could do that and and yeah so I started slow and I paced myself and it took me eight years to complete the basic um, undergraduate degree uh, but one of the, the biggest things that I loved about studying I love studying so that's not a problem but it was actually being able to study with my children at university at the same time so for me that was a huge buzz as a mother and um one of my favorite memories was actually sitting in an exam room at St Lucia campus with my daughter doing another subject but we were in the same exam room and that to me was just like like it was brilliant I I just loved it so um yeah
0: that's hilarious um, because yeah house must have been a very hectic place when you were all prepping for exams.
2: (laughs) No, no. I was still in Rockhampton and they were living in Brisbane at uni. So they were at uni and I came down for an exam and, um, yeah, just happened to be in the same room. So that was pretty good. And, yeah, and I just thought plants were a starting point. All life depends on plants. So I didn't know where it was going to lead and what sort of direction. But as I went through uni and different courses, you sort of, yeah, you start to sort of find your your pathway. I was still very unsure when I finished my bachelor's. And so then I thought um, it didn't give me really what I needed to in a practical sense. And so then I thought I'd go back and do my honours year. And I was lucky enough to get accepted by uh, Associate Professor um, Olufemiak Insomni, who was studying macadamias and he brought me in on a honours project for studying endophytes in macadamias, um, which at the time I didn't even know what an endophyte was, um, well, you can see which is me, basically...
0: You're trying to fill in my gap, the gap in my knowledge. What is yeah. an endophyte?
2: So an endophyte is basically like our microbiome in our gut, but in plants. So it has fungi, viruses, process and, you know, all sorts of microbes, and they can... Be very helpful to the plant right from when they were from seed to seedling. And then they can also turn pathogenic when um, triggered by environment or something like that. So um, I didn't know really anything about it. And with the help of um, Femi and the other PhD students, I was able to get through that and learn. I learned so much. Like they were just brilliant. And that gave me the confidence in a laminar flow. We're doing the pathology like we cultured the fungi and and you know and things that were actually inside the plant and so that gave me that little bit of confidence and experience in a lab situation and that's when I sort of thought oh, no I could try tissue culture I, I'd never done it um but that was a thought yeah I just thought yeah I could I could have a go you know and so yeah that's that's where I'm sort of sitting at now
0: I actually have plumbers i my lab. (laughs) So you completed honours. When did the idea come to you to study vanilla? Um it
2: was sort of sort of around about that time, maybe a bit later. Um, My stepson actually saw an article on David Sue with the vanilla dome um, on the ABC. And he put the little link to me. He said, I'll have a look at this because I talked about it, you know, just in conversation a couple of times with him. And, um, and yeah, he sort of put me through it. I thought, and then I watched it. I thought, that's a really cool, innovative sort of idea.
0: I wonder His if David it'll work. the northern New South Wales coast, isn't he? Yeah, so
2: D- David grows it in an igloo-type sort of um, environment and very mechanical, so very um, mechanised and, and lots of IT involved and all that sort of stuff, which is beyond me. But the idea was interesting that he could do it in a small space and maximise the space. So um, that was, you know, inside. yeah, protected cropping, yeah, and um, and create that microclimate that's needed for the the vanilla to grow in a like a tropical sort of
0: environment with lots of humidity and things. So um, I thought that was just. So tell me a little bit about your plans for vanilla because. You've chosen to work with vanilla. You're looking at growing it in a protected way, so in that sort of microclimate, and perhaps using your skills in tissue culture to to multiply the crop more quickly. So if you can you just yes. give us a summary of what you want to do there? Okay, so
2: the project that I got with the um, – that I put forward to AgriFutures was there's three parts with vanilla. Um, so there's the growing part, which – it is a, is a semi-epiphytic um, orchid, so it, it grows with some roots in the ground but a lot of um, terrestrial growth, so it grows tall and, and long. Um, but it needs a subtropical in, tro- environment or even tropical, so high humidity, shaded light. So it's usually um, in, in um, other cult, you know, countries, Mexico and Madagascar and stuff where it's grown now and in Indonesia, it's grown under the under a tree. So it uses the tree for a support and the shade. So plus the uh microbes and that that are in the the soil and the um humus and stuff under the tree, that's what it uses to grow.
0: We're talking and um
2: and it looks like a vine, yeah? It is a vine, it is a vine crop, but it's um yeah, so soft, soft sort of tissue, no no woody structure and stuff like that. Um, and it grows very long. It can grow very high up trees if allowed to, um, but they have to keep it lower so that they can actually pollinate the crops. So a vanilla is hand-pollinated because our current um, commercial environments don't have the native bee that was um, first pollinating it back in the sort of 1500s and before in Mexico where it was first developed. By a tiny little bee called euglossine bee Um, and then when they exported it by Cortez in the 1500s that bee obviously never came with it and that was the only pollinator so they couldn't replicate it to flower and and get pollinated and so then they um, a hand pollination method was developed and that's what they still use today on all flowers so the flowers will only last for sort of four to six hours early in the morning right on sunset to midday and if they don't get pollinated within that time they drop off and they die so you don't get a pod from that um, that flower and so there's a whole process sort of in that a plant will take three to four years to get to the flowering stage and then once it flowers you've got that very limited time frame to actually pollinate it Um, and then if you are lucky enough to pollinate it then you, it's at least a sort of eight or nine months for it to then um, develop and grow within in the pod um, to a ripen stage, uh, but that's not the end of it. Then you have to pick it before it splits and then you have to do the processing side of it, which uses enzymes to actually develop the seeds and the, and the substance within to then create the actual vanillin that is the flavour that we know as vanilla. So I'm starting
0: it's to a, it's a, why it's such a such a costly a, ingredient. Yeah, exactly, and it's almost like yeah. you know raising a child from from baby to to primary school, isn't it? You've got that nine yeah. months' preparation and then you're still keeping it's a very
2: long process. And that's why it's the um, second most expensive spice in the world because it is such a hands hand in hand, intensive growing um, scenario to to actually get that end result. Um, so yeah it is just a fascinating plant it's got a fascinating history and um, yeah and it's just a beautiful plant to grow as well so my thoughts a, it's a beautiful plant like so that's the thing it is a food crop which was my other interest and then I thought when I started looking at getting just enough for my little experiment in my shade houses down the back it was like they are like the little plants are fairly expensive but if I wanted to mass produce them that was going to cost a lot initially so then I thought I've done my plant science here so why don't I develop that knowledge and start looking into tissue culture which I'd never done um but I felt that little bit of confidence because I did that tiny little bit of laminar flow work um and so then I thought tissue culture, I can mass produce high quality, like get a high quality bit of the plant and then you do like it's a mass production from a tiny little piece and you can keep replicating a virus-free identical clone of that plant to then produce, you know, thousands. So um, and that's in a sort of short space of time. Instead of from a single node cutting, which you get, you yeah, know, sort of from a meter of plant you might get 10, whereas from a tiny little bit of the actual meristem, I can produce thousands. So that's the concept behind tissue culture, but it has to be a very clean aseptic environment. So I'm building my own little mini um tissue culture lab in my shed as we speak um, to try out these the whole idea. It's 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 quite an interesting journey on its own so many plants are now tissue
0: cultured yeah so you're using your degree you're using your tissue culture skills but you're also introducing another interesting element which is the native bee and you referred before to bees being used in the very early days of pollinate for pollinating vanilla in Mexico tell me firstly how how what is your experience with native bees
2: very little (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i had a native bee nest in a, a water what do you call it where they put the pipes and that for the water in my a house up in rockhampton and i didn't even know what they were and so luckily i had my husband's sister in sister that knew someone that knew about it so he came and got got it out of the the um, water box and put it in a hive in an actual human structured hive and um and so that little group of women, little bees, girl bees, um, came with me everywhere I moved. So they've moved quite a few houses and they, and that started the fascination. So I started to read about them and learn about them. And um, also incredibly interesting, they produce honey, which is also to me an agriculture, you know, a crop um, or, a, or a, a food source. And not only that, for pollination. So they're a a good pollinator, which ties me back to the macadamia I did in my honours because they are known to pollinate macadamia plants and a lot of orchard crops quite well. Um, And so, but further reading and further talking to people in the Australian Native Bee Association, they sort of, not that there's a lot of information out there, but what I've been able to gather is that the this sort of um, eusocial bees in Australia, our native stingless bees that form hives, um, they're actually too small. So they're the um, Tetragonula carbonaria and the Tetragonula um, hocking and there's also an Austroplebia variety which is um, up in sort of further north in Australia. Um, but, yeah, they're only very, very tiny, like a tiny little fly and they don't seem to be big enough. To be able to manually push the little flap that's in the that orchid flower away to allow it to pollinate. So, um, so my thought is after reading more about native bees, which um, you know there they are there are genera of um, solitary native bees that are bigger. So, like the carpenter bee and the um, blue banded bee, they use blue banded bees as a vibrating one for tomatoes and stuff like that so they're a bigger bee but they are, are solitary so they only sort of nest you know one at a time sort of thing um, but whether they would be big enough and i can't find any research where that is the case but um, i'm hoping so that the grant has funded me to go down to the australian native bee association um conference this coming weekend so i'm hoping that i can catch up with some people that really know their stuff and, and introduce myself and my idea and just yeah get some some
0: proper feedback on that so you would think that it would have potential wouldn't it to to use solitary bees if you're in a protected cropping area so so if you're yeah, in protected yeah. area well that's what my thoughts are
2: um whether it's going to because i don't know whether you can actually rear so um solitary bees yet whether that sort of skill has been developed. It's not like um the use social where you can um like divide the hide and hive and get more and all that sort of stuff. So um my reading hasn't gone that far yet. Um yeah so that's sort of one area that I'd like to obviously look into further but I'm also a long way away from that because I'm still trying to get the plants to grow big enough so that I even get a flower. So I'm way behind. I've only ever seen the um, natives growing the actual the actual vanilla growing in one area like I've never seen it. I w- um, went to a, a producer and, and they were lovely enough to show me their crop, which I you know sort of never seen. But um, yeah, it's it's a thing that if you you know if life doesn't bring you to these things, then you have to go and find them for yourself. So.
0: Where would you see yourself then in a few years? Where would you like to see yourself? I would really feel
2: a sense of satisfaction if I can really tissue culture even a limited plants well. You know, because that to me is is um it's a cool sort of individual thing. I can't really get people in to do the job for me. I've got to learn it and do it myself. So I thrive on that. Um and I mean orchids in particular are beautiful so I mean I can develop into just sort of normal floral orchids versus you know just the vanilla and things like that Um, so that would be you know that would be a real triumph if I can get that um, to work well and then I'd love to see my own orchid like my own vanilla flower and produce a pod you know so that in itself would be amazing yeah, and then the the journey starts again on how to process them and how to do, do all these other things. So, um yeah, I don't think my learning is going to finish anytime soon. I've I've um, got a long way to go, and it's a long a long process, but thoroughly enjoyable, and it keeps my headspace much happier without than not having that direction. So, oh uh, yeah, I'm excited, but but also scared. Like you know. As you, as you are when you're not really sure what you're doing or where you're going, but
0: yeah, as I'm sure probably well with you probably will when somewhere. First started out with your uni degree as a mature age student.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, I did find a little bit of ageism sort of happening. Um, not not to a huge extent, but there's always a lot of fear because I think a lot of younger students think either you're the teacher. Or, or you're the mother figure that's going to growl at them or something. Like, I'm not too, you know, I'm not too sure about how they perceive an older person um, doing these things, but, yeah. And some of them but helped them, right. didn't they? They did, yeah, especially um, the, the, the PhD students in the honours. They were just fantastic and such smart, bright scientists for our future. So, I mean, they were just incredible. And I am... Um, I give them a lot, a lot of thanks for all their work and their help and uh, and just support. Like they could have just, you know, ignored me and pretended I wasn't there, but they didn't and they really put that effort in to support me as a person and as a, a you know, a fledgling scientist. So that was, um, yeah, very special for an old chicken like me. Yeah, so that's good.
0: How did you see that Acceleration Grant? How did you know about it? Okay, so that was that was I
2: because I was interested in food, uh, food security and agronomy and all that sort of stuff, but didn't quite sort of know I I I signed up for the agri futures email, you know, newsletter a couple of years ago now, so it was a fair while ago and you know, really interesting articles had come through and you think Is this yeah, maybe not now. You know, and I'm sort of not. I'm not into cattle, and I'm not into big animals. They scare me. So, and then you know, but you you read so much and you learn so much about aquaculture, just everything. Like, Agri Futures is an amazing source, a resource for for knowledge expansion and things like that. um Yeah, and it just came up on a on an email one day, late last year, and I thought, and I read it, and I thought, oh yeah do some of those criteria i reckon i could have a go yeah so i just typed because there was only a quite a small little submission about what you wanted to do and and your thoughts like and it is for emerging ideas so um the whole point is to get us rural women um that don't you know sort of get access to a lot of stuff to start innovating being yeah yeah included in this sort of area and um think i don't know whether i think i'm the less least prepared of the other sort of six women that won the grant with me and um but yeah we're getting there some of them had very defined ideas and very focused and were much further down their track than me um but you know you got to start somewhere and i guess they just started earlier and yeah so it's, it sounds um, like
0: equipped for the for the journey, Julie, and I wish you a lot of luck. I look forward to reading about your progress with vanilla.
2: Yeah, I hope so. And there's um agrifutures are also just started um doing a our uh, RD and E, so was research, development and extension um work into a vanilla industry in Australia. So that's only just sort of starting to evolve now. And so I get to talk to actual people's growing vanilla. So, and that was through AgriFutures and winning this grant. Um, yeah, that I was able to even get involved with that. So, yeah, all these little bits sort of connect in, in a strange sort of way. And yeah, and we'll see where it goes. Hopefully we have a bright industry in vanilla in Australia. And, um, and I know the native bees are really starting to take hold, you know, as, um, as pollinators Australia. for crops and all sorts of things. So, and they also, AgriFutures also did an RDE for them just last year as well. So, they're very, very much up with what's happening in all the different industries that are coming through in Australia so that people can get on board in the early stages and really learn and make the most of it. So, um, yeah, uh, blessings to AgriFutures Australia, in, in my opinion. So, very good.
1: Thanks to Judy Kennedy with that interview with Julie Sosso, who is one of the recipients of the 2022 Rural Women's Acceleration Grant. And please remember to look up the Acceleration Grant detail on the AgriFutures website. The next round of applications, that's for 2023, open in September this year, so not long to go. It's also great to hear from you, so please rate or review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jane Cudahy, and I'll talk to you again soon.
0: You've been listening to Agri Futures On Air, a podcast brought to you by Agri Futures Australia. For full access to a huge backlog of stories on Australia's agricultural trends and innovations, research outcomes, inspiring stories from our rural leaders, and insights into new and emerging rural industries, please subscribe to Agri Futures On Air on your favourite podcasting app. You can also find more information at our website, agrifutures.com dot IU.